There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry! Scoot! Corey Perry! William able to shake away from Solani. It's away to Solani. That's just, anyways, sorry. That's something. <laughs> I can yeah. see by your background. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's nothing matters, bro. It's all fine. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Perfect uh, perfect timing. Perfect timing to, to decide to do a show, push it back from the Sunday, and hey, it works out for once. We were, we were supposed to go live yesterday, and we said, you know what? Ducks play the Islanders tonight. Something Something magical might happen. And uh, exactly how it went. We'll push it. Uh, we'll push it back to to, to Monday night. And uh, Pat Verbeek heard our uh, heard our prayers. And uh, Josh Manson's now a member of the Colorado Avalanche. And we've got something to talk about today, other than the fact that the Ducks lost the last couple of games. So uh, I can see you're you're fully ready to talk about the loss of your uh, prodigal son, Josh Manson. So you look ready. Yeah, to I mean, go. look, this is obviously. It was obviously a tough day for me personally. Um, <laughs> the best duck in the history of the franchise has been traded away. Um, you know, my my large adult son, Joshua David Manson, now has to go play with hippies in Denver, uh, which is very sad. Doesn't even get um, to reunite with his dad in Winnipeg. He's got to go to Colorado I, of all places. What a, what a tough place. Or to even Edmonton. Right his pops is in Edmonton. Oh, right. Edmonton. That's where his dad is, right? Was it? Is that okay? Was his dad in Ed, Winnipeg or something? That's where he played, right? That's where he played. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, his dad played in Winnipeg. Right. And his dad played for Winnipeg and Chicago. When he got <laughs> traded, I went to see if uh, he was ever on a team with Grant Fear. Dave Manson was ever on a team with Grant Fear, and he wasn't. So that was a bummer. Um, You're getting a Batman references already. <laughs> So, so I am Ben. There's a lot going on. <laughs> Some real dumbass. Anyways, but it's, <laughs> I couldn't find my uh, Talia Shire, uh, what do you call it, like black veil. So I had to improvise. Um, pre- preferably I would do like, you know, one of those classic like in mourning mother and all black kind of clothes. But I don't have any of that. Um, but look, I, 
I mean, look, we all knew it was coming, right? And I, you know, I tweeted it out from the FM account. I thought it's it's pretty remarkable that the first real trade that happens um, is the one that sends Josh Manson out the door. Like, I don't know that there is a more perfectly kind of tidy symbol or metaphor for the shift that we're seeing, you know, and, and then you go, do you take it down to the next level? Um, and you look at what the trade package was in return. And again, it's, it's the same kind of thing. Like there, this is a very easy thing to extrapolate a thousand different narratives from. And I, I think that's, that's an interesting thing, but I guess like, that's the first place to start Eddie. And I want to ask you this is, I'm just, I'm just watching you like fade in and out of existence with, with like, the, bat, the Batman mask on. It's just, uh, it's just but for real, like, how do you feel about Josh Manson to Colorado? Let's like talk for about him the or immediate part of this trade? I I think it for if we're looking at it from a Colorado standpoint, I, I think it's a great ad for the team. Uh, presumably, like. I, obviously, you know, everybody ranks their prospect pool differently, but for them, like they they hang on to kind of the top five prospects that they have left. I know there was a few people out there. Corey Prodman was like the the highest on Hellison of everybody. He had him number four at the beginning of the year behind McCarr, Newhook, and Byram. So that I mean, he's probably the highest of anybody on him. Wheeler in his most recent uh, rankings had Hellison at number eight. So you're looking at kind of like a middle of the pack prospect for a team that has a middle of the pack prospect pool now that Byron and McCarr and, and almost Newhook have graduated at this point. So I think for Colorado's standpoint, like you get some depth on the right side. You kind of add maybe something you didn't have when you look at Byron, Gerard, and McCarr, the type of defenseman that they have. You've got now like another physical presence to go along with Eric Johnson there. They're adding him for just over $2 million because the Ducks retained 50%. And all it costs you is a guy who could potentially turn into what Josh Manson is now in a second-round pick. You you keep a hold of that first-round pick to go out and still maybe go for Claude Giroux or JT Miller or or something along those lines. So I think if you're Colorado and you're Joe Sackick, this is kind of the perfect move for you. But at the same point, like the Ducks get what they should they should have wanted and, and what was probably the best offer they could have got for Josh Manson. So it's one of those rare trades where, you know, it's not a hockey trade necessarily. There, there's some picks involved, but it's one of those ones like it's not an A plus for any team, but it's a solid B I think for both teams, which is hey, like if for Pat Verbeek's first big trade in Anaheim, it's not the, uh, it's not the worst outcome you could expect. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, look, I think, as far as like Manson is concerned, I think this puts him in a really perfect place to kind of, you know, recoup some of that lost, um, I guess like, hey, what are we doing? It's upset. Just as upset as you. Off the fucking rails here. It's ridiculous. I know. Where are you going, dude? Jesus, Jesus. Um, anyways, like I... I think it's a great way for him to kind of recoup some of that lost value that he's kind of had publicly as far as, you know, how the ducks have played and, and how, you know, he's been on the team and he has had a down a couple of years. Again, I'm very vocal about that being a little overstated. Um, but it's hard to argue that it isn't true to just 
from an objective standpoint, right? He has been a little bit worse than he has in the past. The team as a whole has struggled. So his, his, uh, you know, his value in the eyes around the league is a little lower than it is. I think the reason that we saw him get a solid return still like this is the same reason we've heard Ben Sherratt's name in a first round pick in the same uh, sentence for, you know, six months now. It's just, he plays a type of game and unlike Sherratt, he's a right-handed pick and like, or a right-handed shot. Like he just, he plays a type of game that, you know, if you want to be cynical, you can say that your standard 200 hockey men believe has more value than skill. And if you want to be, you know, I don't know, I guess a realist, you could just say, or I guess like a romantic in a sense, it would be, he's got a game that gets better in the playoffs and all that kind of stuff. I think the truth of it is, is that it's, it's a little bit both true, right? Like he has that off ice value, that in room value. He brings that kind of intangible toughness to the team, right? Like he's one of those guys that I think everybody has a more traditional usage of the term grit for, but like, he's not a bad hockey player. And I think grit has kind of become synonymous with plug in a way that I think is a little ridiculous. Um, but he's a really good player and he's going to do a really good job for them. He's going to give them a very specific element. He's going to probably end up in a role that I've always wanted for him, which is he's going to end up basically being the right-handed training wheels for a super skilled, young left-handed defenseman. You're going to have Gerard or Byram or one of these guys play with him and they're going to be able to excel in a role um, that is going to be very easy for them because he's going to be back there. He's going to make sure that they have space. He's going to be able to go and do the things in front of the net that's maybe some of your smaller modern defensemen can't do. He's just I just think he makes them a better team. All, all things considered, he's going to be able to eat up a bunch of penalty kill minutes for them that aren't going to now be going to like Curtis, uh, Curtis McDermott. Right, I think was playing for them, or, or Zach yeah. McEwen, one of the two. Yeah, they have um, um, their bo- with uh, Gerard and Byram out. <clears throat> their bottom pairing is Jack Johnson, Curtis McDermott, and Ryan Murray is playing with Eric Johnson right now. So obviously, yeah, like, like Devin just... Taves and McCarr, they're going nowhere. But like, if if you think when Manson joins up and Gerard comes back, like the best spot for him, like uh, him playing a, alongside a Sam Gerard type player on a good team like you would hope and i guess colorado expects is he gets back to prime manson with Lindholm when the ducks were good right like that's that's kind of what you're hoping for where on a team where like nobody's underlying numbers are bad for the blue line you would expect him to to get back to that point yeah well here's the thing right is they're basically just going to have a second pairing that's going to be the B level of the first pairing. Sam Gerrard is a young, skilled, dynamic, offensive defenseman, but he's not Kale McCarr. Josh Manson is an older veteran, more of a two-way defensive-minded type player. But I think it's fair to say he's not Devin Tays. You know what I mean? So they're just going to have a perfect, you know, B, like, you know, like B, B plus level second pair of what their first pair is which is already one of the best pairs in hockey like it's just going to put them in an incredible space um as far as the kind of depth that they're going to be able to exert now sorry i didn't mean to cut you off i just wanted to make a point about the the pairs are almost matching because you're right his perfect partner is with sam gerard no yeah and and even like i mean it, it gets a lot worse if he doesn't go with sam gerard um and and it will be interesting to see what colorado does 
when Gerard and Byram come back. I know Byram is kind of up in the air because of the concussion problems on whether he's going to come back at all. But even if, like, let's say Byram's out, you've got Taves, McCarr, Ryan Murray, Eric Johnson, Jack Johnson, Curtis McDermott, Josh Manson, and Sam Gerard. You've got eight guys. You know, you could argue Curtis McDermott's an easy, um, you know, seventh man, but you've still got some wiggle room there. Then Jack Johnson, somebody get dealt here at some point. I would imagine if the uh, Flyers, or sorry, the Flyers, if the uh, the Avs go out and get a guy like Giroux or JT Miller, I would have to probably imagine the defenseman goes out the door and that evens out a bit. But even if he plays with Ryan Murray on a bottom pairing, like that's not that's not a bad spot for him to be in either. I think obviously the ideal spot for him would always be to play with Sam Gerrard, but. You know, now if you're Colorado and you can roll into the playoffs with Taves, McCarr, Gerard, Manson, Murray, Johnson, like that is a that is one of the deepest six defense core mm-hmm. I think in the entire league, and the the top half is just elite when you have McCarr and Devin Taves playing together. So from the Avs point of point of things, it's it's amazing. I think they'll still go and look to add a, another forward now with Landis Cog out uh, until the playoffs. But uh, I mean, the, the rich keep getting richer, and that's usually how it works. Yeah, man, it's, and, you know, again, like, I just think if nothing else, I'm so happy for Manson to be able to go into that kind of situation and be able to just step into a situation where, by and large, the culture seems to be really positive, other than the fact that uh, Nathan McKinnon is, you know, uh, uh, a fitness Nazi. Um, you know, other, yeah, other than that. But, like, uh he, he's going to just, he's, I'm just really happy for Josh Manson, man. I, I think that's the thing that I've been trying to kind of focus on today is like, I'm super bummed that he's not going to be on this team. I knew it was coming. I have said multiple times that it should happen, but this is one of those things where when the rubber meets the road, it sucks. And it's the best thing for all players involved. And I think you look at the return and they're going to get a second round pick in next year's draft, which is good because that helps them defer assets, right? It, it, it actually gives them an additional asset moving forward, right? Where, you know, to the extent that they get a another pick in this year's draft, that the timeline on that is is much shorter, obviously, because the draft is coming up. So you basically have between now and the trade deadline, and then the two days, you know, leading into the draft or whatever, where you can make trades and stuff like that to have the full value of that pick. Whereas because it's in the 2023 draft, that gives him a full draft, a full off season. Mm-hmm. Um, and a full other trade deadline to have that pick have value for him. And he can, you know, if Anaheim is in a different position next year where they're looking to be buyers, right, in some crazy extent, it gives him something else. So I just think that's a great thing. And then you look at the kid that they got, and he's, you know, 20 years old. He's six foot three. He seems to be a little bit more of a two-way defender. Like I saw the clip uh, on Twitter today of him, and like I joked at Snail McCarr, like, you know, he just moves so simple and so straightforward, and it's just like a nice little bit of play. But I just think it shows, you know, a level of of poise and, you know, I guess sophistication in his skating that is a modern version, right, of what Josh Manson kind of was. I don't think yeah. anybody is going to be expecting Ellison to be um, as physical or you know, uh, violent, if you want, uh, regarding, you know, some of the, the after whistle scrums and, and Josh's ability to just step into the fray and just destroy people. Um, 
but he's going to give them now a very good what would look to be second pair right-handed defenseman behind Jamie Dreesdale. Like, yeah. So you think got of like with Olu Zellweger, the perfect complement for right. something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so I think from that point of view, like, yeah, the return makes a lot of sense. I think it's one of those trades, like you said, everybody everybody comes out of it well, right? Like we've seen some people, like I think Dom Lecizan, you know, said in his reaction that he thinks Anaheim deserves to take a hit for not moving Manson earlier when his value is high. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's one of those things that, like, I get in a vacuum, but... It's all you know, speculation. I like, think, what what could they well, have gotten for know, him at that point, right? Right, and 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 it's 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 a fair criticism, though, right? Because we have mm-hmm. heard, you know, I mean, ever, going into today, I mean, on the last like two or three episodes of Thirty Two Thoughts, we've heard multiple times, everybody has been into Josh Manson for a couple years now. So, like, I think it's a fair criticism, given that some people may think that trading him on the expiring year was an inevitability. But I just think some of the non-asset management parts of it have a lot of value. I think having him play with Drysdale last year, I think having him play on this team this year, I think having him be a presence in this team for the last two and a half years, like it has real value for some of these younger players and some of the older players too. Like that stuff matters. So, you know, again, like in a vacuum, I understand the criticism, but I, I do think, you know, from a much more, you know, myopic or narrow-minded point of view, I guess, uh, you know, narrow-focused point of view than Dom has, like, I do think Anaheim was certainly justified in keeping him around with the hope that they would be adding him, you know, they would be signing him to an extension that was going to be them competing for another four years. It didn't play that way. Like, you know what I mean? Like, none of us have to sit and lie about what it is, but uh, you know, again, like I think moving him now made a ton of sense. I think it was an inevitability given his next contract is just probably not going to be something that Anaheim was going to want from a bunch of different facets, as unfortunate as that is. And, you know, you have the no trade thing, you have the salary retention thing, like all that. They got, you know, a fringe top five prospect, right? Because the two big numbers that I've seen so far have been four and eight. So like you're saying, he's a top 10 prospect, second half of the top 10 prospect, you know, and like, that's good, man. And, you know, I I think you kind of alluded this today in the group chat as far as like, I'd rather have a player who is as close to stepping into the league as Hellison is versus a first round pick just because of where this team is, right? Like we want to start seeing these guys get into the lineup sooner than later, as opposed to taking a kid who's going to be four years away. And there's still value in that, which is why they keep this year's pick, even if it is, you know, in the 13, 14, 15 range. But if you can go out and get a player who can hopefully be a roster player in a year and a half and a difference maker in three, you're in a really good spot. So I, I think, you know, again, like, as far as grades for everybody, I think everybody did a really good job, and I'm a Colorado Avalanche fan now. So yeah, yeah, like I I agree with that in the sense that you know, a couple years ago when some teams were were very hot for Josh Manson, you probably could have gotten more. You still would have ran into the issue of him not wanting to go to anywhere near the country of Canada and putting all the the top teams mm-hmm. uh, on his list. So you know, ultimately, I. I I don't believe they would have gotten significantly more than what they got. 
And at the end of the day, for me, is is you know all what they could have, should have got at that point becomes a moot point, and it is did they get enough for him now where they are? And I think they did. Like I, I think you know again the the point you mentioned that I said in the group shot is yeah I I would always rather a better prospect than a higher pick, especially when you think in this case with Colorado this pick is going to be thirty one or thirty two, right? It is what we kind of all expect with the Avalanche. For me, the difference between that. And, you know, 50, 60, you know, a 2023 second round pick, even if it was a this year's second round pick, like there's really no difference in terms of the type of player you can get. It all depends on your scouting staff there. I get, I would give the Ducks the same, you know, ability of drafting a, a good player at 50 or 60 than at 30, right? Like, I, I think it, it's relatively similar. So the fact that you can get a better player at that point and you're not picking maybe the 12th or 13th best prospect in their system and getting a first round pick. You're getting a guy like this who, all things considered, it looks like he could play games for the Ducks this year, right? Like that, that's pretty good. I, I mean, you can yeah, get a guy who can step in and meet him. Yeah, yeah. He, he's done his season with Boston College. He's the in third year of college. Doesn't really need to go back for his senior year. And it seems like the perfect situation for him because if he was in Colorado, why not go back for his senior year, right? I'm sure that was probably the plan. There's no way of really making it into the roster. You've got a bunch of guys in front of you. You've got, like, two defensemen in their system that are higher up than you. And, you know, that right side with Johnson and McCarr for the next couple of years, you're you're really not finding a way to break in there. you got Justin Barron, who's in the AHL, who's, like, their top prospect, who's right in front of you. So for him now, all of a sudden he comes into this system as – what. Uh, uh, outside of Drysdale, and Drysdale's not really a prospect anymore. He's the top right-handed prospect they have. It's like him and Axel, Axel Anderson, and maybe you tip, you know, in Axel Anderson's favor just because he's played pro hockey this year. But he, he's always going to got a, a huge, you know, a, a huge boost to his path to the NHL. It's a lot sooner for him than it was before. So I would imagine, and I've seen a lot of people put this out there, that he probably gets signed in the next couple of days here. And then plays with San Diego for a bit, but I could see him getting a handful of games for the Ducks just to to get a test, and, and it's awesome for that kid. It's awesome for the Ducks to be able to bring a guy like that into the organization and fast track him and give him a chance. He's you know be, been one of the best two way defensemen in college for the last couple of years, and, and like you said, like for a guy who is six three two oh four, he he skates pretty well, right? He's just that modern defensive defenseman, the modern shutdown guy. He's not. In the mold of Josh Manson, in the sense that you're, he's going to go out there and punish you physically, you know the the old school kind of shutdown defenseman who you can blow by them if you have enough speed, and they're they're likely going to be caught out of position every now and then. But if they catch you with your head down, you get knocked out, right? In in this case, he's just exceptional at kind of timing and spacing. You know his gap control is excellent. He, you're not really going to get past him. Yeah, he's got an active stick, and and he's just kind of this smooth, effortless skating. He's not slow, but he just you know he doesn't use the speed when he doesn't have to. So it's uh, and you saw that play, the play that you were talking about earlier, where he went coast to coast and dangled through a couple guys. So he's got that in his locker too. So you know, if if you want to just simplify I, and say, I'm still not sure we can call that like dangling. Like <laughs> okay, sorry. He attacked the triangles was, and put it under somebody's skate. He and, oozed. And, yeah. He oozed past yes, them. Yeah. He just it was it's hard so for a guy slow, that big, and it was to super dangle. smooth. Yeah. No, that like that's the thing. Like it's so funny, right? Because I'm not trying to shit on him. Like it was, it's a genuinely impressive play, and the fact that he actually made it at slow speed is almost more impressive than some of 
the similar plays people make at high speed. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's just so funny to just see someone really just be like, I'm bigger and better than you. And I can do this at my own pace. Like it felt very like peak, yeah. you know, peak eighties center in basketball kind of thing. It's just like, no, I'm just better than you and I'm bigger than you. And it doesn't matter. Um, you know, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a great thing. You know I mean? Look, he, it's, it's him. It's Axel Anderson. It's, it's uh, Hunter Drew and Ian Moore. You know, and those are kind of the top. Pretty much it, right? And and all of a sudden he's fast tracked in front of mm-hmm. pretty much all those guys. And and you know, other than Ox Anderson. Oh, dude, here's hockey, the other thing. Right? So. He's a yeah. He's he plus he's a Verbeek. Like I don't Verbeek. He's the first guy Verbeek brought in. Yeah. I think that pushes him even closer to the front of the line, right? Yeah. Because this is a guy that doesn't seem that far away and is going to give Verbeek an opportunity to kind of show something to Prove the fans himself. as far as what he's looking for. Yeah. You know what I mean? Prove that he won the trade because this is a tough one. It's a, t- it's a tough, the tough mm-hmm. first move in moving out a fan favorite like Josh Manson. For a guy uh, that a that lot of people, is he still a fan favorite? I, I would, I would say the majority of people would still like Josh. Manson. I'm being petulant. I'm being petulant. Don't ignore <laughs> me. Just ignore me. But yeah, you, you know, you're exactly right in the sense that there's gonna be a lot of people upset <laughs> that they moved him, and for most people, for a guy that they don't really know, um, and and have not either heard about before or probably won't look into, and that's I'm not, you know trying to target anybody here but the, the truth so many is, hours in a day yeah drew, drew hellison just is not a guy that jumps off the page you probably haven't heard of him before i've heard of him a handful of times before this and and like i i look this shit up religiously and i still like have only kind of roughly heard his name every now and then so it's going to be one that yeah you want to prove yourself get this kid in the lineup you know not, obviously don't rush him to a point where he's not ready but it, you know he he's close enough that you can get him in this year and get him familiar with the fans and for Verbeek you know try and get in an, an early win because it's going to be a tough off season to endear yourselves to to a lot of the fans when the first thing you're doing is moving out fan favorites like Manson and Raquel and Linton but it's you know it's something you got to do and, and um, it's funny he's sticking to his word pretty quickly because somebody had mentioned I think it was uh, Felix had mentioned that. Um, you know every broadcast now they're releasing tidbits of this interview between Verbeek and, and Hayward. And a couple games ago, he was prioritizing size on the blue line. As he was saying, the rules have made it difficult for smaller D-men to defend. And, you know, the Ducks' two top defensemen in their prospects pool right now are Drysdale and Zellweger, under 5'11", right? So you look at some of the other guys like Thrun 6'3", and Lacombe 6'2", so they got some bigger guys there. But the first move he does to bring in a younger player is he goes out and gets a 6'3", mobile shutdown defenseman to kind of go along with what he was saying there. So if uh, if that's to kind of foreshadow future moves on the last broadcast, he said he was looking at speed to the lineup. So we'll see an acquisition of a young quick forward maybe at some point here uh, to add to the roster. But, yeah, it uh, I, I think all things considered, like I, I really do like this deal. I think you, you bring in a, you know, a modern, younger version of Josh Manson that – you know, this guy is likely going to be a five or six just already at the NHL level. And the difference between him getting to, you know, a number four is how well is his offensive game going to translate to the NHL level? You know, can he put up 20 to 30 points while also, you know, being this physical shutdown dominant defender? If he can, he's a top four guy. If not, he's a five, six, and he's a specialist guy. You throw him out in the PK, still plays 19, 20 minutes a night. There's nothing wrong with that, right? At, at all. That's... I don't, I, 
So, uh, okay, so this is kind of a, a different but similar conversation. I don't think he has to put up points to be a top four defenseman. I, I Like, I was literally just actually just talking about this with my uncle, like, driving home from work today because we were just, like, talking about Manson and the trade and all that kind of stuff, and it's his fault I root for this stupid team. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I had mentioned to him is, like, I don't think it's fair or realistic to expect all of your top four defensemen to have to be able to put up points. Like, there is still something for, to being said for denying other teams from being able to score goals. Like, you know, you could say it's it's cliche or pedantic or childish or whatever, but it's like, dude, defender is in the position. They are defensemen. Like, they play defense. Like, it is okay that these guys just be really, really good at not letting other people score. That's why there's four other guys on the ice is to help accentuate that. And given what we've seen of his, you know, his handles and the fact that he's putting up 25 and 32 at, at BC, like there's reason to be optimistic about what his offensive upside could be. But even if he just does develop into a, a, you know, a, just a better skating Manson as far as putting up, yeah, you know, whatever amount of points, but just being a guy that can reliably shut down other players. Like, I don't think that that's a bad thing. And I don't think it's unfair to ask for that to be a third defenseman on a good team. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's well, about Lindholm the situation forever, right? you put these guys in. It's about implementation. Yeah. But that's exactly what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Lindholm you classified know, as a number so one. Defense, it was, well, he's not a one. Yeah. Yeah, it was the it was always you know, the uh, the just, offense wasn't there, so people were like, yeah, he's not a one because he's not McCarr or you know Eric Carlson at the time, right? So that was always the the debate in Lindholm's case is he was so good at everything else, but you know he wasn't. Well, he that wasn't 40, even a dowdy, right? Yeah, yeah. So that and right. and listen, I, I I completely agree with you. I, I think you can be a number four, and you don't have to be a point producer. It just depends on what team you're on. And I think when you look at the way the Ducks are building this team, where Hopefully, Drysdale and Zellweger are carrying the offense. Fowler's still sticking around doing his thing. You can be a four on this team. Whatever that is. Yeah, and, and whenever it is at whatever point, and be a you know, just a dominant shutdown guy, and that's, that's your get on this team. Like, you're that guy, and you're so valuable yeah, in that way. Absolutely. That, yeah, you can be a four, and, and I think – I think you know the modern interpretation of being a top four defenseman at this point is that you kind of have to do everything well, and that just seems just because of the way defensemen have kind of trended at this point is you got to be a great skater, you got to put up points, you got to defend well, and and you kind of get looped into this like all around. You got to do everything well, and you can't just you know you can't just do one thing exceptional and and one thing not so great. But I I do agree. I, I think he he can be a four on this team, but in in the like what the what, what the term top four defenseman is almost morphed into it's like you gotta you gotta put up points it feels like which is unfair because you can still be an effective top four defenseman without putting up points yeah you know i mean i yeah i i just think it's it, it is unfair to hold guys to these expectations that they have to be point producers to be considered a top four defenseman i just don't think that's fair and i also think that's unrealistic i think you're needlessly getting rid of players that can be helpful members of teams like really impactful players again when play with the appropriate players and played well you know played in the appropriate situations like again like that's the job of your coaching staff is to get these guys in the best positions possible to succeed if one of the things that he doesn't do like if one of the things 
that I'm not asking of him for as a term of success is to put up 40 points, then it's on you to make sure that you're not putting him in a position where he has to produce or it's a negative, right? Like, don't put him on the power play. That's fine. Just let him play all the power, penalty kills. Let him play a 5-on-5. Let him be a defensive guy. Pair him with a guy like Olin Zellweger, who is just so dynamic and so skilled and smaller and faster. And it, it is a match made in heaven as far as being able to put a pair on the ice and, and be able to do both things. So I just, I don't know. It's it's a little bit of hobby horse. I'm on a soapbox or whatever you want to play. It's a little ridiculous. But I just think it it it's a really good player. And mm-hmm. skating is important in the modern game. And I think more than anything, that's what what needs to be focused on here, I guess, is that he is a good skater, right? That is the thing that will allow him to be... Because if he was a mediocre skater, skater, then yes, he's a 5'6 guy, right? He's yeah. your Corbinian Holzers. He's those... He's good in his own end. He's good when he doesn't have to move his feet too much. But once you start getting him moving north and south, it's a little bit of a problem. Um, you know, so I, I think his skating is a huge plus as far as his ability to be impactful and, and to be uh, a, a more successful player higher in a lineup. Yeah. Um, and, and I, th- I think he, he, he's, you know, he's not good sk- a good skater in the same sense as Jamie Drysdale's a good skater, where, like, he'll blow by you. But his... Jamie Drysdale's not a good skater. He's a great skater. Exactly, He's an exceptional. Skater. But it's it's just like a, it's a different it's a different utilization of his skating. Like his north south speed, he's not going to blow by you at any point. Drew Ellison's just not that guy. But he's so good defensively with his you know his spacing and his gap control that he's got some quickness to him. That he's already in such a good position that he doesn't need to make up that ground to really you know catch up to you. And he's got the size to kind of block you off already so his skating is just like the best way i can kind of say it is it's, it's just smooth for a bigger guy right like there's it's effortless right. there's not he's got good feet yeah it, it, it's not ugly like if like, it was basketball or football he's got good feet yeah yeah he, again he it's not speed but it's just his skating ability his all-around skating ability is great for a guy his size and and to be an effective now shut down defensemen in the NHL where the you know the guys coming against you like the McDavid's the McKinnons of this league where they're just Absolutely. lightning quick you've got to be able to have that ability which is, for me the big get for this is, is maybe not how he profiles himself and where he's going to land but for the Ducks prospect pool in general there is no they don't have anybody like this right now which I think is huge to to bring in. We talked about this in the past uh, couple shows where we're looking at potential guys to go out and get and I think a few times we we looked at guys like Braden Schneider and Scott Morrow and Carolina and just big, rangy, mobile, right-handed defensemen because there isn't anybody on the right side if Josh Manson goes out. And it's a great get to, you know, Josh Manson goes, and in in that deal you bring back that guy who can fill that hole on on the right side of the fence in your prospect pool, or at least add to it, which is right now, Mm -hmm. if you're adding to the Ducks prospect pool in general, that's probably the the weakest point and the best spot you can add to so I, I i love it just in that sense i love it when you look at the player and see where he projects i always like to see you know year on year production increases no matter what year, league he's playing in and every year he's played in the ncaa for the last three years he's gotten better and then there's something to be said about the fact that he played in the same program at the same time as trevor zegris and henry threat right like there's some familiarity with these guys there at, at some point and you can call it intangible and, and meaningless or whatever at some point, but they're, they're, these guys know each other, and I, I think that does go a long way eventually when you're putting these, guy, these guys together on a team. They've done it before. 
uh, and when it's a big piece like Trevor Zegers who's going to be here for a while and potentially a guy you could play with in Henry Thrun, I, I, I think that's important. Yeah, no, 100%. I think, um, I mean, you know this because I, you know, pester you with this shit in, like, soccer, but it's like, I love that national team shit, man. I eat that stuff up. Like, yeah. I love the idea of having multiple guys who, who play their international uh, soccer, or in this case, hockey together, because I just think it gives them time together to do all of the things that you want them to do for you outside of you. And I think that's the part of it that's super beneficial is, you know, they're getting other people getting their hands on them as far as getting these exposure to different ideas or different expectations or different style or whatever it is. Um, I just think there's a lot of value to that going through that process together. Um, but the other thing is, like you said, like it, it, it's crazy. Like when you think about it, like I think you could pretty reasonably say they've got three good goalie prospects in uh, Dostal, uh, Eriksenek, and Alexander. They've got two legitimate top six centers in the pipeline in McTavish and Zegers. They've got plenty of top six wingers. They've got Tracy and Perot and potentially Colangelo and um Pastyov, uh, yeah. thank you. Uh, you know, then they've got your lower guys down the lineup, your Perbix and Shiguro and, you know, uh, Galimov and some of these guys. And then, you know, you've got a good set of left-handed depth. You've, like you said, Thrun and Moore and uh, Lakeham and some of these other guys. And then the right side, like it almost feels like we're a real hockey club again because the thing that we don't have is right-handed defensive depth. Right. And it's, it's crazy because, like, had you it know, for like so one, long. For a one point, yeah, that was the one thing Anaheim did have in spades. But two, it, I think it also says a lot about how successful this uh, scouting staff has been in finding these players and bringing them in. That like you can look to, to you know, and again, the top six center thing is a little hard. There's only those two guys, but like two guys is better than no guys. But like with every other position, you can find two or three guys easy who. You're like they're in contention for this spot, and and that I think is very valuable and very important. And this, like you said, is something that begins to address the deficiency on the right hand side and with our right hand shooting depth, and especially with, you know, Drew seemingly moving to forward full time. You know, and we've seen it with Brent Burns and Brendan Smith and Dustin Bufflin. Like you know, different guys play back and forth for different teams depending on what is being asked of them you know by the coaching staff like we've seen Corbinian Holzer play forward in the NHL for God's sakes um you know so there's something to that versatility but it does seem that he is going to be expected to be like a checking winger now and so to again bring in somebody who you know again one of the big issues with Drew is his skating that's not the issue here uh he's still gonna have you know that size and that reach and like you said his ability to to leverage his skating alongside with his size and his frame gives him an ability to be very impactful in his own end. Um, you know, hopefully he develops some of that snarl or bite or whatever you want to call it. But if nothing else, he, like you said, he very clearly addresses a point of need in this prospect pool. And you never want to pin your hopes on one prospect. That's always how you get into trouble, but it's a good start. And it's the first one that we've seen from Verbeek. And it's a very encouraging start. Yeah, the the one thing I've really liked about the Ducks draft in the last few years, and listen, it's it's it has to be intentional, but I, I you know I always 
go and advocate for drafting the best player available. But you can see like where some of these guys fit in an eventual lineup if they hit, where you have kind mm-hmm. of all the pieces you would want for a championship team. You've got your scoring winger, so you've got your Zeke, uh, your Perros, your Pastuovs, your Tracys. You know, you've got then your your kind of two way guys in Shagirl, and you've got your physical guys in Jones and Colangelo that can kind of sprinkle in the bottom of the lineup. And you know, you've got obviously got your two you know A plus pieces in Zegras and, and McTavish down the middle. Uh, you filled it out with some acquisitions like Milano, and then on defense, you know, you've got your hopefully your your McCarr type player in in Jamie Drysdale in the sense of you know puck moving, mobile offensive defenseman who can run the power play. You've got Zellweger who comes in to kind of be a secondary guy like that, like a, almost a Gerard who he's been compared with in in uh, in Colorado. And now you've got Hellison to be that kind of right-handed shutdown guy. And you've got a lot of depth guys coming up that kind of fill both sides of the game. Physical shutdown guys like Thrun and some bigger Ranger offensive mobile guys like Jackson Lacombe. And, you know, it, it, you've, you've kind of built all these pieces together where the prospect pool just really complements itself. And they had that one weakness on the right side. And they said, listen, that's what we got to go out and get. And in your first move, you go out and get that. And, you know, maybe that gives you some freedom now in some of the bigger deals, which we, we should probably get to at some point here. And, you know, if Lindholm gets moved and all signs point that he probably will, and same with Ricard Raquel, that uh, the secondary needs now and maybe going out and, get, you know, make, get another right-handed defenseman, uh, some more scoring winger help, but you, you can kind of be a little bit more flexible with that, that you don't have this glaring hole now. You've, you've filled it in some sense. And obviously one guy doesn't doesn't really change too much where the Ducks still have some holes on the right side of defense in their prospect pool. But it does give you a little bit of freedom, I think, to look at some, some other options and maybe you fill that right side hole um, in the draft now that you've got another, another body in there. So I, I, I love it. Uh, I'm I'm still excited for the deadline. I'm hoping that uh, Verbeek can hold off a little bit for our live show on Monday. That we <laughs> we have uh, a little bit to talk about at that point. But uh, man, like it it, it sucks because it's bittersweet, right? Like it sucks to see these guys go. They've been a big part of you know us watching Ducks hockey over the last decade. But um, it 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 is exciting to see some new blood come in and see you know the. The re the, there's a commitment to the rebuild, right? And uh, doing things the way mm-hmm. we kind of hoped that Bob Murray would have done over the last couple of years. That you know, if if you can't resign these guys, then they're out the door. And if they don't resign for your terms, you're not going to be raked across the coals, right? Like the the latest news I've seen I've seen from Hampus Lindholm is is that the Ducks want him around five years, and he wants more. And if it's if that's the non-starter, like he he's not going to do five, and you're not going to do more, then we're going to trade him. And I like that approach. You yep. know, stick to your guns, and you have something you're comfortable with. And you, you know, if the, if it's out of your range, then you're going to get something for them. And I, I ultimately think that's where it's going to go. But it's uh, it's an exciting week coming up, man. It's already kicked off. Uh, the dominoes are starting to fall. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great, 
talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash blue wire sports offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash blue wire sports. That's indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast indeed.com slash blue wire sports terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed. Yeah, it's, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's never it's, often that the Ducks are the, the ones to kick things off, right? Like, usually we're waiting until right. well, other guys have gotten traded, so. Well, that's, you know, that's what, like, uh, second, I guess, athletic pimp today, like, uh, Gentili made that same, made that point as far as, like, this feels like the start of trade season now, like, you know, all due respect to Tyler Foley, he got traded in February, um, and now we're in the, you know, the week heading into the trade deadline, the middle of March, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it, it just does feel different. Uh, it's fascinating that the the Ducks were such a central uh, figure in the way that this deadline was going to play out just to begin with. And then now to see them really step up and make this kind of big trade, um, again, as inevitable as it may have felt, um, as un... I guess unexciting as the name Drew Hellison is, like you said, you know, a lot of people don't know him. Like I hadn't really heard his name before. Like it was one of those things where I was like, Oh, is that things? But like, if you told me, I just was thinking of Hellman's mayonnaise, like I'd believe you. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think it's, 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 it's going to be an interesting thing. Um, I wanted to, to say one thing real quick, as you mentioned about uh, the speed that Verbeek has been talking about. I have a, a buddy named George Fitzgerald who uh, writes. He's a Tampa Bay fan. He writes for uh, Raw Charge. I think it's called Raw Charge. It's the SB Nation yeah. Tampa Bay site. It's great. I know a bunch of the writers there. They they're really really wonderful. Um, but he made a really interesting point to me a little while ago that the thing to watch with Verbeek uh, that he you know because Verbeek was kind of the head of scouting for uh, under Iserman um, and obviously that was a thing that was in Tampa Bay and then in Detroit as well and. Now he's coming in with, you know, again, a scouting experience, which he earned is his post career from playing Um, is he said, you're going to see your forwards get smaller and faster and you're going to see your defensemen get bigger. And so far, the two things that we've seen him do is add Schuster off Oysters. uh, Wow. Off Oysters. Um, (laughs) Add Schuster off of Waivers. Mm. And now trade Josh Manson for Drew Hallison, who is, again, a bigger, more physical defenseman. Um, The modern version of that, again, like I almost kind of feel weird. um, It's not the traditional big big mobile, not even mobile, big, just big defenseman, right? Like it was the walls at that point now you're getting this kind of modern version of it which it works better that way i feel more comfortable with him going after the six four six five defenseman as long as they've got some some skill to them so right yeah well that's the thing right it's there's, we're, we're not going to see a lot of uh hunter drews it's going to be a lot more of these type of guys um where that physicality is is an accent as opposed to a, a feature um you know, but I just again, I just want to say that he really smart guy. He made that point, and so far it's been true. So uh, to your point about what we're going to see with um, 
the, the kind of the returns that or other just trades in general that he's going to be making over the next week because I do think there's going to be plenty of more moves. I think people are going to get moves that we're not expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to be as impactful as a Henrique or a Silverberg or if it's going to be a smaller thing like a, a Grant or a Steel even. Uh, you know, but I, I do think we're going to see somebody that we're not really prepared kind of to to leave is going to get traded. Uh, but is to see if he really does start to go for those more tra- uh, faster skilled type forwards, because I don't know that that's something Anaheim has a ton of. I think they have good skill and good speed. Um, but I don't know that we really have any like burners uh, in the minors right now or in the prospect pull. You know, I mean, how Pastyoff specifically isn't that. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, it's going to be interesting to see if that's something he tries to address. Uh, with the uh, Raquel and Lindholm trades. Yeah, yeah, and it was just a, a notice from him that uh, he just thinks this team isn't quick enough. He wants to add some speed, and uh, whether that's you know bringing in prospects who fit that mold or not, you know we'll, we'll have to see. But there's there's you know, even with his time in in the Red Wings, you can look at what the Red Wings they're drafting for defensemen. Edmondson and Sider coming in. I think Edmondson's six five and Sider's like what six two six three like they're big big kids and obviously six, four. there's there's a lot yeah. of skill there right but that uh, the, there's some identity that they're building on the blue line now that doesn't mean that I know Verbeek wasn't a part of this but it doesn't mean he doesn't like players like Drysdale and Zellweger there's an exceptional amount of skill to those right. players that you can overlook that but the rest of the players it seems like he wants to complement that which again makes sense are big mm-hmm. you know mobile rangy defensemen that uh, that have some size and skill on the back end and that that's what we're starting to see here so yeah I, again there's a lot of interesting pieces for the ducks to move there's there's some prospects out there that you could target but it, it makes me wonder like you know toronto's case a guy like topi niemela who is a, a right-handed defenseman that, that toronto is willing to move only 5'11 does that maybe you know, could be thinking into this too much, but does that maybe take him off the table? And whereas you've got a guy in Carolina like Scott Morrow who's 6'2 and kind of can do the same thing. He's a little bit bigger, and, and does that appeal to you more when you're you're trying to build a team a certain way? And same thing goes for forward prospects is maybe do you take the skilled, quicker winger over, you know, a, a bit more of a power forward approach, and, and you go with that team's offer. Oh, you mean like maybe uh, Fabian Lysel, who's yeah. a young, quick forward? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Very here first, folks. Eddie says Fabian Lysel is a future duck, and he thinks anybody who says the opposite of that is silly and foolish. No, my 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 ideal huge Fabian Lysel fan. Eddie, ideal moves are still Lindholm going to Carolina and Scott Morrow first, or some picks coming back uh, for that, and Raquel going to the Rangers and Brennan Othman coming back the other way. I think you get both what? there. Okay. Okay, so here's the question. Just real quick, we're going to entertain your nonsense since you entertained mine this entire time. Uh, what else is in that deal, or who is Anaheim taking back to get the Rangers' best forward prospect that isn't yeah. currently underwhelming in their middle six? That that one is a a lot of is a bigger stretch uh, than the, the Scott Morrow Lindholm to Carolina deal. Cause Lindholm holds a lot more value. Like do you I, have I to think, send like Lundestrom the other direction. I, I think you're bringing back some salary for some way for them to dump player. Well, like, you know, Gorgiev, we, I think we talked this before and Stolarz maybe goes back the other way and you, you help them eat some salary a bit there and, and, and make some additional hmm. moves. Um, 
I like that and, trade. And, and it, it gives them, in a sense, I mean, listen, they're getting out probably their top prospect who's not playing with them right now. Um, but it gives you the, maybe the, the ability to hold on to your first-round pick and use it in, in, in a different way, right, and go out and, and, and add mm-hmm. um, yeah. another player, which is what Colorado gets in the sense with this deal, right, is they, they give up a better prospect than maybe they would have liked to, but they, they give up a second-round pick that's not even this year, so they've got their first-round pick for this year that they can still move and, and go out and get mm-hmm. uh, you know a, a, a top forward for them to, to be able to go do that, right? So. Uh, listen, uh, that that one's a stretch. It's just a player I, I I really like and I think fits the fold there. But if you can go out and get somebody similar to that for Ricard Raquel, I think that's a win, right? If you can come out of this with another good defensive prospect and another forward prospect from those two guys and and, and some picks, then uh, it, it's a win in the deadline. No matter what else you do, if you're the Ducks, whether you know Henrik or Steele or Comtois get moved, I think you you definitely. 100% have to nail the three UFAs you have going out. You have to get something good, and you have to get a good return for those guys. And right now, I, I would say Verbeek is one for one, and he's got two two other swings at the fence here to try and get some good offers in. And the, and the good thing We're about miss it, you, Delorier. We love you. Yeah, if you get a, bring in a first for Delorier, you've won the deadline at all. But uh, the the good thing for Verbeek is that it gets easier in a sense with Lynn Tolman Raquel because there isn't the no trade clause situation where you know Manson can, could have I think it was a 12 team mm. no trade list he could submit you've got a little That's bit a more point. flexibility here and Lindholm is from what all accounts you've heard is the number one defensive prospect available um and Ricard Raquel is probably the best value forward available with the uh production versus the cap hit that he has so and, and the Ducks have the flexibility to eat fifty percent of Lindholm's contract still even you know with them retaining fifty percent of Manson it seems like they're willing to do so, and you eat fifty percent of Lindholm and that all of a sudden bumps the value up and you can get a little bit more there so I'm intrigued I'm excited I like this move by by Verbeek I, I think oh. it shows some good signs for the next week here and uh, man I'm I'm ready I'm ready to to fully fully commit to the rebuild finally we got a guy. Heading in that direction instead of bouncing between two different uh, two different philosophies, so it's uh, it's good times. I know I, it's not good times for you, but it's good times. Yeah, no. Uh, what would give you the impression that I'm upset? <laughs> um, uh, the one thing I was gonna say that you said that now is I actually thinking about it. Like, who is the uh, the the best prospect left in Pittsburgh because honestly when you say it that way it feels like Raquel to Pittsburgh for Kapanen and a picker prospect is kind of an inevitability um I, I think it's I, I don't know Samuel why I just Poulin, don't think they don't have much left uh well there is one guy didn't they just trade Pouli? didn't uh, they just trade him for no I think they I think they still have him I don't think he was moved he's still there I believe they have the worst ranked prospect pool in the league, though. Still, that that's something that hasn't changed over Probably. the last couple of years. Well, um, yeah, when you trade them all, then you don't have anybody. Which again, Scott Wheeler the has cups, them so at twenty nine. Samuel Poulin is the number one number one ranked prospect. Number two is the guy who has been rumored to be traded out of there is Pierre Olivier Joseph, left handed defenseman. I could see it potentially. Bring him uh, in. Let's yeah, go. You know, Kapanen is a want away from there they want to get rid of him if it's Kapanen and joseph and and small pick maybe or even if you have to to do that at that at that point like again you're you're getting a 
player you can inject in your lineup and replace Raquel right away in captain. You've got a young left-handed defenseman who's playing in the AHL and is 22, so we, you could uh, you could realistically, if Lindholm goes out the door, play him in the NHL right now and give him some decent minutes, uh, potentially top four minutes, right, right behind Fowler for a second uh, left-handed defenseman spot. Um, I, I, yeah, there, there's some there's some intrigue there if you want to maybe avoid the um, the prospect side of things and get some you know players who are 20, 21, 22, 23 and uh, and see what they can do. And he's had a pretty good you know pretty good run at it so far. It's just a tough tough roster to break into as a prospect in, in Pittsburgh, right? Especially on that blue line that's had kind of the same mm-hmm. gate, same guys there for a long time. So yeah, we could we could see something like that. I think that's the Again, the exciting part about this is we know these guys are going to get moved, and there's a lot of different ways you can approach it, and different uh, different types of players you could bring in. And we still, you know, we got the tidbits like we said. He wants to add some faster forwards and some bigger guys on the blue line, but um, you know, the way he could approach it, there's so many different uh, so many different avenues he could take. So it makes it a little bit interesting. Yeah, I mean, look, I'll I'll fine. I'll say it. You've talked me into it. Lundestrom for Malkin, one for one. Fine, we'll make the trade. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's. I mean, look, we talked about this. I don't know a couple of weeks ago. I think as far as like, it 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 was kind of scary and really exciting at the same time because we know things need to happen. We know that things are going to happen in one sense or the other, right? There are things that have an obvious need for a legitimate conclusion before. Monday, right? It's either these guys are getting extended or they're getting moved. We're not letting them walk out the door for nothing. So we know what it is that has to happen. Now we get to enjoy the part where we don't know anything about the people who are making the trade, right? Like we don't know what Verbeek is really like, like what he's trying to do, what he wants to accomplish. And like, again, we can piece it together from certain things of him being a part of uh, the last two teams, a major part of the front offices for Tampa Bay and Detroit. Um, we know the things that he has said, but there is still the degree to which ultimately what he does will be, geez, I don't know how else to say it, but I'm going to sound really stupid. What he does will be what he did, and that will give us something moving forward to look at as far as a reference point uh, for what to expect from him in the future. And there's a thousand different things, and Anaheim seems to have have you know like the three best assets that you can kind of go into this trade deadline with mm-hmm. um you know a legitimate top pair shutdown defenseman a legitimate top four right-handed shot defenseman uh and a legitimate right-handed top six winger who can play center uh oh and yeah all of them are expiring contracts and and, all and of the them, nice deals too like that uh, can that. be retained yeah, and like he, Lindholm's the it's highest not a, amount. Phil Kessel he, or anything. Yeah, he, he makes five five point two or whatever, right? And Raquel again, Who? like we said, Lindholm, right? So he, oh, yeah, five five point two oh five. Yeah, so it's it's not a break the bank, and then yeah, the Ducks can retain it, which what they did on Manson is you know four is a lot mm-hmm. for a competitive competing team, but if you take him at just over two. It's 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 pretty nice. It's not bad, and in Raquel's case, like mm-hmm. almost any team competing can afford him and whether you can't maybe fit the whole thing under you don't have to move out a ridiculous contract to fit him in you can move out a guy who makes like one and a half and all of a sudden Raquel's only technically costing you one and a half in that deal right so there's they're they're good assets to have to move out at this point um and it gives the ducks you know some some leverage in the market having you know three of the most sought after pieces and it's no surprise that you know we're a week away from the deadline 
and uh, and Manson has been moved out already, and the Ducks got something good for him. And as Firebites mentioned in the chat here with what some of the defensemen are going for and what the rumored prices are, like, Manson, Lindholm should get a haul. Like, that's that's the real exciting part here is, like, Lindholm, the Ducks could walk away and probably get the the biggest trade of trade deadline with Lindholm. Like, more maybe more than what Giroux gets for the Flyers if they move him and Maybe not more than JT Miller because he's got term. But when we look at pure rentals, like the Ducks could get the best package here for one of their players, which is exciting. And it's going to be a first plus a prospect plus, which is exactly where you want to be at this point. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, so you wanted right. to talk Manson or not Manson, wanna... Matthews suspension, right? Real quick. Yeah, I want, well, I want, there's a couple of things I want to hit on. Um, I guess the two things that are Toronto-based here, the first of this is, why is, did we talk about this already, but why is Toronto not in on Jacob Chikrin? Like, the fact that it has been, like, very clear that they are not in the lo- in the rumor, or in the conversation for Jacob Chikrin. How is that possible? Yeah, I don't know. Like, doesn't... Like a young sub five million with term top pair left-handed defenseman who has shown growth defensively, has good size, and has a track record of being able to produce offensively at the NHL level. Like, like is Kyle Dubas officially bad at his job? I, I, like, I don't know, man. I, like, he's he's for I, like, me, he's starting he's to be getting there a little bit. Yeah, like I mean, he might be in it, and and the reports are wrong, but usually, like. He, the Leafs have not really been in the mix since early on, and for whatever reason that is, the price could be too high. But at That's this ridiculous. point, like if you're a team like this, like there should be nobody else higher on your list than Jacob Chikrin if you're the Leafs. Um, like I know, again, like they mentioned in the chat here, the Coyotes are asking for the moon, which they should. But when you're looking at timelines the Leafs have to bring in a guy who only makes 4.7 or whatever Chikrin makes, and you could go Riley mm-hmm. Chickren on the left, and Muzzin plays on his offside on the right anyway. And um, I struggling to remember who their their top their top TJ Brody. Yeah, TJ Brody. So, I mean, you got four lefties <laughs> in the top, but go pure chaos. But yeah, it, it's it's honestly just a it, it's a, it's a deal that makes sense, which is why it won't happen for Toronto. Um, and somebody else will will eventually pull it off. <laughs> I know they. There's a lot of things the Leafs have to do to make any deal work, salary wise. You know they've they've got to get Mrazek's deal out of there at some point because that was just an awful move by them to sign him for three and a half. Um, they've got to move Justin Hall out of there as well. So like any deal that they they make, they're also asking the Coyotes to take on salary, which if the asking price for Chikrin is two first, your top prospect plus. Then you're adding on the fact that the Leafs have to get the Coyotes to take on salary. That I think makes it, you know, where the the price is just ridiculous, right? It it just becomes an, mm-hmm. to an insane level where you just don't feel comfortable doing that. You're talking like this year's first, next year's first, Toby Niemela, another top prospect from your system, plus these guys that you need to move out for salary, then what does that come back? Because it can't really just be Jacob Chikrin. You've got to bring some bodies back because you're sending so many over to um, take the Coyotes. So but, but that's – you can do that, right? You can just tell the Arizona, right? Just pick X number of minor leaguers that you're fine throwing to us. 
and that's what you do. Like it's it's Mrazic and I don't know Kerfoot or whatever for Chikrin is fundamentally the deal. Then you or you know uh, what do you uh, Mrazic and like Hull, right? Like you can make the salary work. You, you make sub five million dollars. The things for me is is just just pay the fucking price, man. Like yeah. it, it it to me it is borderline negligent to not just go get that talent. Like. He's just it just makes no sense. And I don't understand like to what point is their name not involved like actively not involved in this. That's the thing of it, right? Because it's one thing if like you like X players available and I haven't heard my team in it. Well, look, that can change at any minute. That's one phone call away. But this is are not interested or are not speaking to like it's just like how is that possible? And at what point like is Kyle Dubas just bad at his job? Like, I, I get that he inherited some of the contracts and stuff like that, and I, I don't really have an issue, I guess, with, you know, paying those guys. Like, you have to pay your elite players. Like, I, I think everybody, given the opportunity, would probably make that John Tavares signing as much as you can say, Yeah, you know, the back end of it might really hit you in the kneecap. Um, but the other thing, Eddie, is I think that this is a perfect point to why a luxury tax system and a soft cap would be better because then they could just give up the picks and the prospects not have to worry about the salary and then just also pay real money at the end of the year to arizona who need it because they've got a uh they play, an they, arena they that play has 50 in fans. university <laughs> so, yeah and you know yeah. so I, that's okay so that's just the that part of it like it's just really and i guess we'll do more of this kind of crap on uh Next Monday, when we're goofing off trying to kill time between trades not happening. Yes, yeah, so we um, need to save as much but the other as we I had can is like, for, <laughs> for that day. I want to know how you felt about Austin Matthews getting two games for his cross check to Rasmus Dalin. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. I, I think it could have been more. Um, again, this is why I think past history and a superstar comes into it. I, I think it was pure frustration. I think it's, uh, it's a movie you don't want to see like that, where you've got a guy targeting another guy's head. Um, listen, I, I get why he's upset. You know, this team is supposed to be good, and they're losing to a team like Buffalo. They're playing outdoors. Everybody's watching it. They, they haven't had a good run lately. Um, I I expected them actually to walk away with nothing. That's just kind of the way I, I thought it was going to go. Um, I think it was bad enough that they had to give him something. They give him two games. Um, I, I would say it's more closer to the five range, if not more. But... So the way this it always goes, man, it's it's Austin Matthews, right? Like they they're just were they were never gonna give him more than two. It was just never gonna happen. Like it would have had to been egregious. And I think Dolan Dolan didn't leave the game, right? He ended up staying in, I think. So mm-hmm. there's always so, there's yeah. always something that kind of plays into that. But uh, yeah, again, like we're we're in a league that they they got to market the superstars the way Matthews is playing right now. This guy was never gonna miss more than two games. So I want to ask you now two follow-up questions, and they're kind of leading, but I don't mean them to be. Do you think the NHL would have suspended him if that game wasn't an outdoor game on national TV? Like, let me say it this way. I'll just tell you how I feel, because I feel that 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 suspension is specifically a response to public pressure from the moment that that happened in the game 
until today when they announced it. Like the amount of public pressure on Twitter from people losing their minds over what Austin Matthews did. Like, I don't think he would have, if that's just a Tuesday game, the exact same thing, but just a Tuesday game, it never, he doesn't get suspended. Yeah, uh, That's how I feel about that part of it. I, I can see it. Like, I, I definitely think he got more notoriety because of it. Um, I still think it's Toronto, it's Matthews, it's it's going to get attention, no matter what. Um, mm-hmm, that's the, the outdoor game adds to it, but it, it, the player and the team he plays for, there was that was always going to draw enough eyes for it to be an issue. I feel like that's fair, but I, you know, the only thing I would say to that, I guess, is that like we've seen similar-ish uh, incidents from players like McKinnon, uh, Crosby, and Connor McDavid. True. Yeah. Um, you know where they've gotten off. So I, I totally understand. And then. Do you think Darlene deserved to get suspended or fined of his own accord? Or do you think what he did was within the play of the game and Matthews overreacted? I honestly didn't see see the first part. What what, uh, what did Darlene end up doing to, to so lead to that part? They kind of were like fighting in front of the net. And Darlene gave him one good cross check. And Matthews kind of ended up like folded over. And he gave him another good one and sent him teeth first into the crossbar and that's what matthews was responding to was consecutive physical cross checks one of which sent him face first into the bar um are you looking for it yeah i just why well, i just pulled it up and watched it now yeah I, listen like um i i think what darling does at most you could call it roughing right like it it i don't think it's as bad um there's no you know, there's no aiming for the head like you had with uh, with Austin Matthews on Darlene. You know, we, we see these kind of scrums happen all the time. I, I think... So you don't buy... Go ahead. So you don't buy the stick rolled up his shoulder? You think he went to cross-check him straight in the head? Because that was Matthews' thought. It was what his, uh, allegedly, after the game last night, what he said to a reporter is, I was aiming for his shoulder. I didn't mean to hit him in the head. The stick rolled up his shoulder and popped him. Yeah, listen, I could see it, but I, I, what else are you going to come out from from that game? You got to plead your case, right? Like he's he's got to find some way to to cover it. I, I mm-hmm. think clear, clearly, like they're losing the game. He's getting bullied in front by this this kid <laughs> in Rasmus Dallin, and uh, kind of goes down like you said, knocks his face on the on the post. Doesn't feel great. Uh, first instinct is, is I'm going to beat the shit out of this guy, and you know turns around and just you know, it's one of those wild swick things. Uh, stick swinging moments, right? Where you see guys who kind of swing mm-hmm. the stick. This was obviously a cross check, but um, I, I don't. I just don't think he was thinking. I don't think you maybe he was even intentionally aiming for the head. I think he just turned around and you know cross checked whatever was did what he did, <laughs> whatever part of Dallian was in his way, much. whether it was going to be his shoulder, yeah. his side. It turned out to be on the side of his head. Um, it, I think it's just frustration. You black out and you kind of that's that's what happened at that point. And it was unlucky for him that he he went for the head or you know. As Brett said, aim for the shoulder, but just missed it and got all head. Like it, it was a mistake at the end. He deserved the suspension. Um, I don't think it makes him a dirty player. Like, listen, I, I'd be fucking frustrated in the position that he's in right now. This, <laughs> this guy's you know, smoking everybody in, in the league in terms of goal scoring right now, and his team still loses because they can't keep the puck out of the back of the net, and then they're losing against the Sabers outdoors in Hamilton. So I can. 
you know, forced to show up in construction gear and hold Tim Hortons cups. And it was just a rough day, rough day in general. I don't know if you saw that, then. <laughs> but, uh, I did. yeah, it was a rough was day, like rough day, people, rough week man. all around for Matthew. So I, he's got a couple of days to, to cool off and come back and continue to do what he does, which is make teams that play against him, you know, re rethink themselves because he's just, he's just that good. Yeah. So. No kidding. Yeah, it's 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 a tough one. I am, but I, at the end of the day, I, I think what Dallin does is within the, the within the rules. It's again, it's borderline roughing, but you, you know, it's, it's one of those games you kind of let the guys play. And Matthews, uh, his his response, whether he meant it or not, is with you know, it's outside the rules, and he got what he kind of deserved for that one. So, yeah, I get that. I mean, I I you know, I would say for me personally, I feel like. The, like for me, the part of it that goes that that takes it outside of a normal scrum is the fact that there was nobody around and he sent him face first into the crossbar. Like that's the part of it to me that I think is distinguishable from anything else. I also, you know, I get you cross check a guy in the head, you get two games. Like I think that that's reasonable. I get that some people think it should have been more, but to your credit or to your point, uh, he was a star that was never going to happen. I also, that doesn't bother me. I definitely think it's fine that star players get treated differently than other players, whether it's calls or no calls in game uh, or it's shit like that after the whistle. Like, I, I really, the it doesn't bother me. Like, for him too, they're right? the ones who, so. they're the ones who make the money. You know what I mean? Like you got to do what you got to do. Like, like you said, he's destroying the league in terms of goal scoring. He's the most exciting player in the world right now. Mm-hmm. And he was never going to not miss. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he was never going to miss significant time. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on it because I, you know, I saw a lot of different people talking about it today, and I just felt like, I don't know, I, I feel like it's kind of be, we're getting more and more into big hubbaloos about nothing. Uh, but I also know that I'm just like a cranky old person. So, <laughs> all right, I want to I want to wrap it up here. We had a, que- a question from a, a new viewer in the chat. Um, it was answered by one of our, our chatters, but I just wanted to answer it on the show. Um, so asking if newly acquired Drew Hellison is signed, he's going to his third year of college, doesn't have an entry-level contract. No, he's not signed right now. The Ducks have the ability to sign him at any point that they want to. Um, he has the option to tell the Ducks, though, that he wants to go back for uh, his senior year, his final year of college. So the, the, the option right now is up to Drew Hellison. I would imagine... He re- he signs and plays with San Diego for a bit and gets a handful of games with uh, with the Ducks. Uh, I, that that's the way I approach it. I can't imagine he goes back. He has nothing left to prove in college. But sometimes guys just like to figure it out. Now it's a bad bad situation potentially for the Ducks if he does go back for his senior year because we run into that like mm-hmm. Justin Schultz type situation where he can become an unrestricted free agent because he isn't signed to a contract. So you said the evil name. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't want to get into that because that that's negative thinking. But uh, I I would imagine and I would put money on him signing in the near future here. Maybe the Ducks wait until after the deadline just to kind of focus on what they need to be focusing right now. But uh, probably by you know early April, I would expect him to be signed and playing some games and getting a handful of games with the Ducks by the end of the year. Yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, damn, I am so sorry, Brett. Uh, we are out of time tonight, but we will get to your question about why Johnny Hockey is better than Connor McDavid and America is better than Canada. 
on Monday's uh, super special <laughs> yeah. trade show. We need some which stuff. I'm going to make Eddie. Monday. I'm going to get Eddie to just get himself killed as many times as possible playing Elden Ring. Yeah, and I'm just going to say, hopefully, we can figure that out because we'll need, we'll need something to do on Monday. But uh, yeah, for anybody wondering what we're talking about, uh, Monday's trade deadline, we will be live in some capacity trying to do a show and just kind of shooting the shit while we have the just trades running. Yeah. Both have the day off, so we got to find something something to do on that day. And uh, I would hope that uh, Lindholm and Raquel can hold it out a little bit, and Verbeek can wait until Monday to so <laughs> give, give us some contact, at least Sunday night, so we can spend the, the first couple hours talking about the Lindholm trade and the Raquel trade and some of the big deals as they come Good in. Lord. But as the deadline has worked over the last couple of years, there is usually not much going on for Monday. So. We'll see. We're gonna be on here no matter what. I don't know. We got Kevin Weeks insider now, so yeah, yeah. you know, He's we might modernizing start getting the game announcements too. Video announcements of for trade. trade. I know <laughs> it was, was it was awesome, dude. <laughs> so, hockey fans, dude, it doesn't keep so me care about being the first. Like that, that's what I liked. Isn't worried that somebody else could beat him to it. Like took the time to record the video and post it. <laughs> wait, guy. wait for the video to upload onto Twitter for him to post it. Just, just great. Love it. Yeah, that's the uh, title of this episode. Why Kevin Weeks is the best NHL insider. Hey, tune in on Monday and find out. So. Yeah, I know shit. <laughs> All, right, All right, well, everybody. Thanks for coming out, guys. Uh, at least we had some some stuff to talk about with the Josh Manson trade. Uh, we got some some stuff planned beyond the Monday show as well. Uh, and hoping that uh, Pat and Jay can, can join us back here at some point and, and bless you with their presence on the show. I uh, appreciate you guys coming out. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I was going to. Now I'm rambling. We have uh, Patreon stuff to announce, but I realized we already announced it in the uh, the group chat. But uh, we'll go over that on Monday, too, uh, with the Patreon stuff and what the plan is with that for right now. But anyway, guys, appreciate you guys coming out. Appreciate everybody listening after the fact. And uh, we will we'll see you on Monday. Take care, guys. Bye, everybody. <laughs>